Hi, I'm Tiffany Patlin, host of the Tiffany Talks Health and Wellness Podcast, where I discuss tools, tips, and techniques to heal your mind, body, and soul. I am on a godly mission to heal the world. Thanks for joining me today. I have Mary Beth O'Connor with me today. She describes her journey in her new memoir, From Junkie to Judge, One Woman's Triumph Over Trauma and Addiction. Six years into her recovery, Mary Beth attended Berkeley Law and was appointed a federal administrative law judge in 2014, from which she retired in 2020. Mary Beth is on the board of directors for She, Reco- for she Recovers Foundation and for Life Ring Secular Recovery. I just love the work you do. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. So um, I just want to get right into it because I'm very curious, and I'm sure our listeners are too, how it is that you got into this line of work. So I really, um, when I was appointed a judge and I had 20 years of sobriety at that point, it was really sort of a time of reflection. And I thought mm-hmm. about sort of the arc of my life because I had been, you know, a, a, an abused child, physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal. Um, and I had multi-assailant rape. I lived with a violent boyfriend for a while. And I picked up drugs early. I started using alcohol at 12 and I was shooting meth by 17. And I didn't get sober until I was 32. So when I was appointed a judge at 20 years of sobriety, it was really sort of a time of, well, how the heck did I do this? You know, go from a teenage meth user to a federal judge. And I really started thinking about it. Can my story be of any value? Is there anything that I can use my story for to sort of um, talk about topics I think are important and maybe under discussed, like multiple pathways to recovery and also that trauma substance use connection, which is stronger than I think most people realize. And so that's really what started it. That sort of pushed me to become more active in the recovery community again. I joined the Life Ring Board and the She Recovers Board. I started writing essays. I've had pieces in the Wall Street Journal and the LA Times, and I started working on the book. And the goal is really to be of service and to use my story and you know what I've learned and all the information I've gathered, like the current science um, and the, the data um, to try to help people build their best, most robust recovery foundation. I love the work that you're doing. The more people that are out there like that, that are helping others, the more people out there get help. And um, it's really sad. And I'm sorry for the things that you've gone through, but I, I unfortunately can relate. And um, it's like bittersweet. You know, it's bittersweet to understand. It's like, oh, I'm not alone. We have something in common, but it's not something very pretty to have in common. But I'm sure you would agree, right? That it's what made us who we are today, right? 
Well, I mean, it, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I hope people don't have to go through it. But if you do, then you're really your only choice is to find a way to move forward and to find a way to recover. I, I remember at one point I realized that the people who broke me were not going to fix me. You know, I really had to take charge of my own recovery and find my path forward. And that is what we all have to do. And it does it does give us certain strengths and skills. I mean, even my substance use recovery, sort of taking control of that, doing the analysis about what would work for me, doing the work, setting the goals, building the plans, achieving them, that those same skills help me in my trauma recovery, help me rebuild myself professionally, help me rebuild my relationships. So we can use our our recovery process as um, an opportunity to really build up sort of our competence and our confidence to handle all other areas of life. So it, we can use it to our advantage, even though it is unfortunate that we have we had to go through it in the first place. I agree wholeheartedly. I think a lot of people who experience trauma, you know, me included, uh, fall in that trap where that victimized trap because you don't know anything else. You don't know any better. Looking back now, I look and I see, wow. I was playing the victim, but I was a victim. I didn't know that there was a way out. I didn't know I could think differently. I didn't know there was another type of life, you know, being on the streets, doing meth. I did that as well. You know, the drinking at such a young age for me, I just thought that's what people did, right? Everybody around you is doing it. That's all, you know, Yes. And for me, I really felt like I had three choices because of the pain, because of all those multiple traumas. I felt like I could either use drugs or I could commit suicide or I could be institutionalized. Like I really thought these were the the, the universe of choices. Um, and it turns out that I was wrong, but you know, it's hard to, when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to believe that there is a way out. And that is one of the important things about people being open about recovery is because it helps others see even if you have a history that has this challenge or this combination of challenges, other people have found a way out, which means there is a way out for you, too. And so that we can use our story, our path, our, our progression as um, as a reassurance to those who are still suffering from it. Yes, I agree with that. Yes. I mean, come on, you're a judge and just looking at you, you know, just hearing the word judge and looking at you, I automatically have this high respect level for you, but I would never in a million years imagine, oh yeah, she used to drink at 12 and she used to do meth. Like that, that's just not something that you would, you know, think. Um, so it is very inspiring to hear your story. And I commend you for coming on and sharing your story because I'm sure there might be people out there listening that might be experiencing that right now. And um, I know, I know there's this um, quote that I love because I resonated with it. And it was that I was never really addicted to the drugs and alcohol. I was really addicted to escaping my reality. Would you say you resonate with that? And it was definitely the trauma and wanting to find a place to feel better that started the whole process. I mean, when you do repeated consumption of drugs for years, there is, you know, it sort of becomes its own problem because it right. alters your brain. But underneath it, it was the impetus was the trauma. And the truth is, in my recovery, it was actually faster for me to get my substance use um, recovery under control than it was the trauma. The trauma recovery mm -hmm. was more complex. It was older. It was deeper. And it took longer for me to do the, the repair work for me to move forward. I, I don't want to scare people. It took longer, but it's always incremental improvement, right? It's not a light switch. It's better 
better and better and better. But it but it is harder to recover from the trauma. It does take more time because usually it's really at the core of all the other choices that we've made. Yes. And especially if you have generational trauma, that's deep. And, uh, you know, depending on how long you've gone through life, you know, like you said, it's at the core and then you did maybe substance abuse. And then if somebody else did this and that, and then putting themselves in harm's way, like I did additional mm -hmm. abuse, additional trauma. So it's just tackling it on. So that's why it, it's a little lengthy process, you know, and all good things take time, right? <laughs> That's true. I suppose winning the lottery doesn't take time, but that's the rarity. <laughs> I mean, certainly all, all forward progression takes time. I mean, I even think about, you know, my professional progression. When I got sober and I was 32 with a Berkeley degree, I had a horrible resume. I had no work, you know, skills. I, I had never actually like gotten up and gone to work every day, you know, over and over again. I had to learn how to do that. And so it is always about that, um, that right next step. I mean, when I talk to new newcomers in recovery, it's nice to have long-term goals, but I think in the beginning, the first or second year in particular, it's really important more to focus on what's the right next goal in this area and that area and the next area, because you can't, you can't leap forward. You have to be realistic. What's, what's the right next step? How do I accomplish that? Once you get that now, okay, now what's the right next step after that? And how do I keep moving forward incrementally? But incremental adds up. It adds up over time. And it's amazing where you can end up with two years or five years or certainly 20 years of just focusing on the incremental next step. Yes, I agree with that because, you know, you don't want to get overwhelmed because yes. some people can get overwhelmed and then they start to feel like it's impossible. I can't do this. And then you kind of just give up and just take it, take it step by step, whatever you could do it, go at your own pace. It's never a race. I always try to remind people of that healing is not a race. You know, we can never compare because what's traumatic to me might not be traumatic to the next person. And, you know, it's just so unique. Our trauma is unique to us, but there are a lot of similarities like you can heal. You know, you can progress. You can move forward in life. And so I think that's wonderful. Um, yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about your book. Can you share a little bit more about that, what your book is about? Well, I really did think hard about what I wanted the structure to be, you know, what was going to, again, what was going to add value. And so I, I really felt like a lot of memoirs sort of leap into the, the chaos of the addiction and they don't show where it came from. And so I, I do go through my childhood to sort of show what primed me to make that choice to pick up alcohol and to keep going. Um, but then I also felt like a lot of memoirs at the end go, well, I went to a couple meetings and it was great. And that's just not how recovery works. And so 30% of my book is about recovery, the, the substance recovery and the trauma recovery. And I really show sort of what I was thinking, the different choices I was making, um, how I was moving forward. Not that someone would copy me exactly, like you say, we're different, but sort of more like, like a technique, a way of thinking yeah. about the forward momentum. And then I have guidelines and checklists in the back that I think could help people get started on building their plan. So I, I really did all that on purpose to try and make the book um, as useful as I could possibly make it. Yes, that's very beneficial. I understand that because I did the same thing with mine. Like, you know, I actually know somebody else who wrote their book in a, in a really short way where it was so short. It's like if people stopped because people's attention spans these days have shortened a lot. So they actually wrote their book in a way where it was like little tiny increments. But it goes back to that overwhelming thing. And I think when people experience trauma and they're, they haven't healed yet, 
things like even reading a lot could be overwhelming. So the fact that you have like these little checklists and all that stuff, I think is extremely helpful. Yeah. I mean, the chapters are relatively short to sort of, you know, and, and I, and I will say there is trauma, but I also try to break it up. So there's some nice stories of my relationship with my sister. I have a chapter on the science of, of, of addiction, again, mm -hmm. to sort of give the reader a breather, you know, yeah. so that it's not like wham, wham, wham. Um, but yeah, it is to just to show the arc and to give that to hopefully to reduce some stigma. I mean, the judge thing, I really try to use that as a stigma reduction point, right? That, that if someone who had a substance use disorder can become a judge, then why are we in any way looking at people that are in active addiction as if they're, you know, as if they don't have value, they do mm. have that. They are, it's important that we try to help everyone who knows what their future can be. If we just give them the resources and the help they need to, to do their hard work, but with support to find the way out. So it's sort of all of those things together. And it's, and, um, it sounds like your, your, your approach to it is very consistent with mine. Yeah. I really appreciate that, that you're saying all that. And it, and it makes me want to want to ask you this question when you were in the middle of all of that, was there any one solid person that was like there for you as a support system or were you just alone with, you know, abusers around you? Like, what did that look like for you? I mean, when I was a kid, um, I didn't really have someone supporting me. The, the one thing I had was school. I always did really well at school. I got positive attention at school. And so that was sort of like my safe haven, the place where I felt special, the place where I felt seen that people would notice if I did something or, you know, if I if I made a point to the teacher that she was that what she wasn't expecting from someone my age, all of those things were helpful. I had one positive place. And but at home and my family with the adults around me, it was it was either negative or they were just sort of pretending nothing, nothing bad was happening. They were either ignoring it or they were part of the problem. What would you say to somebody who might be listening right now that might be not have that support? but they might be, you know, where we were back then, where there was abuse happening, trauma, and just thinking that they only had those three options. I mean, I will say one of the, um, She Recovers Foundation, which as you mentioned, I'm on the board, She Recovers isn't just for substance use recovery. It's also for trauma recovery, for mental health recovery, for other behavioral disorders like eating disorders or or uh, internet, um, and as well as just grief or self-harm, it's all in one place because so many women with a substance use disorder also have one or more of those other struggles. And so there is, if you're looking for sort of a peer support, women that, that will understand, women that will understand the interplay of your trauma and your mental health and your, and your addiction, She Recovers could be a really good resource for that. Thank you for mentioning that. And I'll make sure I have all this information in the show notes for people that want to look into that further. And what um, is that worldwide U.S.? So there, um, there are meetings on, online, which the women around the world participate in. They have several meetings a day, but there are also local chapters in the U.S. and Canada is now getting developed for in-person meetings as well. Um, and then there are retreats and conferences. They're, they're really focused on the mind-body connection, like they have yoga meetings and dance where the women really get to let you know their energy out and, and, and have that sort of release. Um, but it's definitely available to anyone in the world on the, through the internet. Um, and a lot of a lot of good podcasts, a lot of good uh, weekly wellness shows, things like that. It's a robust offering 
including a very active private Facebook group where the women directly support each other. Oh my gosh. I really love that. I, I don't know if I'm a part of it, but I'm definitely going to check so I can be a part of that. Cause I just love, you know, chiming in whenever I can to just, you know, be a helping hand and just support somebody, anybody, anytime I can. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, the, I had another question that I wanted to ask you about your aha moment. Like, when was that for you? You know, you're you're experiencing all of this heartache, this pain and just everything, feeling like you only have those three choices in life. You know, um, what was it that made you, you know, stand up and say, I'm going to take charge of my life. I'm done with this, like or that there's a way out. What was that for you? I mean, my 32, it was really multiple factors up. My body was starting to break down. I was I mean, meth is a toxic drug and I was starting to have physical problems. I was just exhausted beyond exhausted, hopeless beyond hopeless. And my partner was ready to throw me out. So all of that together really made me think, well, let me at least try rehab. You know, let me see if I can find a way to at least do better. Um, but as far as the, like the real sort of um, commitment, true commitment to, to uh, following this through all the way, that was really an evolutionary process. And part of uh, becoming more committed was seeing the examples of other people who had succeeded. That really sort of, it, it gave me the, um, the confidence or at least something of a confidence that I could actually recover from this. When I went in, I really wasn't sure if it was possible. But seeing those examples and talking with other women who had done it, it, it made me feel more and more like I would be able to find the strength and the commitment to pursue it all the way to the end and to become sort of my best, truest self, which really was the goal. I love that. Do you, is this statement true that you were believing like lies from your past traumatic experiences? I, I was definitely viewing myself as sort of having no realistic chance of having a happy life. You know, like that just wasn't on the table for me. This was this was going to be the best I could do was living in the misery of my active meth addiction. Um, and so that idea was really deeply embedded in me because there had been so many different traumas over such a long period of time. It wasn't like it was one event. It was, you know, ongoing in the household and multiple outside events. And so I, I had no... I was, I was pessimistic. I didn't have any sort of hope of living a, a happy life. I didn't think it was on the table for me. So that was part of why I, I was trapped or felt trapped because I didn't see a path out. I didn't believe there was a path forward for me, but there was, I mean, it was, it wasn't true. I, I had, I was accepting a false reality. There is a path out, there was a path out, but, um, but I had to believe it enough to take those initial steps and then the increasing confidence that it might be really a possibility for me helped me keep uh, doing the hard work that is recovery. Mm, yes, I, I resonate with that response because it's I think it's true for all of us. And we don't really realize it that, wow, we've been lied to in, in our minds. It's like a, a like a like a lot. Actually, it's more than one lie. There's several lies and they're like on an album in our brain on repeat and then our lives, our actions, our everyday actions are a result of believing those lies. And so that's what our life looks like. You know, it's not that we really want to do drugs. We don't really want to drink. We don't really want to do these things. It's just sometimes it's just all, you know, you don't know any other way. 
that's right because it wasn't like i was living a happy i mean it's not like when you you know do get high the first time i mean when you're in the middle of an active use disorder substance use disorder it's a miserable existence it's not fun the fun days are you know 15 years behind you right um so it isn't fun but you feel stuck and it's it's interesting because it's sort of a how do you get unstuck when you feel when you feel that stuck and it's it's hard to make the positive choice when you're stuck in that brain cycle of obsession and chaos that you get when you're when you're actively using it's it's tough to make a healthy decision in the midst of that misery um, but it is possible and it doesn't just requires that sort of initial step step out try to find the first step toward recovery and see where that takes you and that's why support is so important because you need somebody that's healthy-minded that can help you to guide you with those decisions. Cause just like you said, it's hard. It's really hard, especially when you're just so bogged down by all the trauma, all the lies, all the hurt, all the pain, the drugs, the alcohol, you name it. It's really hard to see, even though like, you know, you and I both, we thought there was really a beautiful life was just not in the cards for us. It's just out of reach. It's just, it's not there. And I think everybody goes through that, but it's just a big fat lie, you know, and it's, but all the drugs and all that trauma, it just, it like almost like makes it foggy. Like it's hard to see the path that's actually right in front of you. All you have to do is start taking those steps forward and you'll come out of it, right? That's true. I mean, I, I really felt so, you know, so hopeless and so debilitated and just like a deep depression about life in general. It was hard to see the path out. Um, but but there is a path out. That's what's hard to that's what's hard to explain. But that's why it's important that we have these conversations and that we you and I, we admit this is where we were and look where we are now. Um, and it's also just I, I think it's important when people enter recovery to be realistic about sort of the pace of the process. I think all of us that go into recovery want it to be faster than it's going to be. Yes. Um, and the important thing is not that you sort of leap forward. In fact, sometimes people fail because they're trying to leap forward too quickly, uh, but rather that you just start to notice the improvement. I, I tended to be hyper focused on the negative. I had to actually force myself, train myself in recovery to look back and say, well, look what, how, what you've done in three months or six months or a year, because I wouldn't notice it otherwise. I was just always noticing what I hadn't fixed yet or my latest mistake or, um, or the things I didn't have. But in recovery, if you can be patient and, and pay attention to your improvement and sort of commend yourself on your improvement, that can really help you stick with it and help you stay the path and keep going. I'm so glad you said that because I think a lot of people who experience trauma that are just used and abused, they're not used to being praised and yes. celebrated. Yes. So we have to do that for ourselves. When we reach any type of milestone, we might, you know, uh, and what's that word? Or we just look at it as if it's not worth anything, but it is. If it's, if, if you feel amazing about it, you deserve to celebrate that and, we need to be our own biggest cheerleader, I think. Who cares if nobody else celebrates us? Let's so celebrate ourselves, right? You're exactly right. I mean, even if it's just, look what I did in three months. You know, no one else is going to look at it in that time. But the other thing that helped me is when I looked backward, it was clear to me that I hadn't like peaked out yet. I hadn't topped out on, on the, you know, as far recovered as I was ever going to get. I could see that I was on this upward trajectory. I wasn't at the top point of it, but I was 
on the upward trajectory. And so even if I'm still here, if I can see that I'm on the path that's leading up there, that makes it easier to do the hard work because it makes you feel like um, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's there's a, some, a beautiful future for you if you just stick with it. And that will help you stay the course on the hard days. And it's inspiring. It's exciting. Yeah. It's like, oh, look how close I'm getting. I'm getting further along. Yeah. That's true. Um, I did want to ask you, did forgiveness, did you experience that? And would you share about that a little bit? I mean, I certainly did say with my partner, because we both had our grievances against each other and we worked in couples therapy and out of it to resolve that. But but as far as my abusers go, um, I don't, I don't. I don't buy into that we need to forgive them. But what I think we do need to do is to release the rage and release the anger and the frustration because those emotions are getting in our way. They're sucking up our emotional space and they're preventing us from really um, being truly happy and living the best life that we can. So with my mother, for example, who I did have a, an ongoing relationship with in recovery, um, I learned to sort of emotionally separate from her and not let her suck me into the chaos and 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 her insanity uh, because her behavior was the same, right? If she would have recovered with me, things might have been different, but she didn't. But I, I didn't feel the need to say I forgive. It was more like I'm going to release my, my rage because that is causing me to behave in ways I don't want to behave. And it's just sucking up my emotional energy. And I'd rather use my emotional energy for more positive things. That's a very interesting way to look at it. I'm glad that you brought that up because I know you're not the only one that kind of, you know, um, struggles with that idea, that thought. And so you just kind of gave it a whole different perspective, which I still think is very healing because you're still releasing and letting that go. Like you said, the rage and anger uh, towards someone that, you know, hurts you. And usually you are, you're resentful, you're angry at that person. So if you focus on those emotions and release them and let that go, you just rise higher. You end up feeling better. You, you let it go. So I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. And then I was able to deal with her in a civil way. You know, I mean, she was my mother and then she had health issues and I felt some obligation, you know, to do what my daughterly duty, but not to let her derail me emotionally. And so it was a much better place for me to be where I could sort of do my, do my responsibilities to her, but not have the negative consequences of all that chaos that she liked to create. Yeah. I, I hear healthy boundaries. Is that, that's what you set. You set those healthy boundaries and I know it can be challenging, but man, are they healthy. <laughs> and I will say it was a progression, right? So first it was, I noticed that I didn't want to keep behaving the way, you know, she would push my button and I would react. And at first I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to act that way. And then it was, well, I could do well under sort of good circumstances, but if things went amiss, then, I, then the old behavior would pop up. And eventually even under stress, I was able to do well. So, you know, it's another area. Don't expect perfection in the beginning. It's going to be, you know, a process of building the skills to deal with those troublesome people in a, in a way that's um, productive for you. And that, as you say, sets the strong boundaries. Yes. They're very, very helpful and healthy. <laughs> so where can uh, we get your book? Where can we purchase your book? So the book, um, and again, it's from Junkie to Judge, One Woman's Triumph Over Trauma and Addiction is available on Amazon and all the usual sites, as well as local bookstores, either have it or can get it. Nice. Okay. So before we let you go today, do you have any words for the person that might be in that space where you once were? 
I would say, you know, just try to find enough motivation, enough hope to take the initial step. You know, don't don't wait until you're like 100 percent committed or 100 percent sure. Just find the, the motivation to take the first step when you want it as even a mere possibility. You want recovery as a as a possibility. Don't don't expect that you're going to believe it in 100 percent or you're going to be 100 percent committed every day. That's not how you start. You start by the first step and the second step and the third step. Mm. Thank you so much, Mary Beth, for coming on and sharing your story. Um, It's very inspiring and commendable that you're doing the work that you're doing. So I hope all you listeners go out there and get her book. Um, I know I'm going to. And be sure to leave a comment, leave her a book review, and share it with your friends and family. Thank you so much, Mary Beth, for coming on today. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Bye now. Bye.